Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I want to begin this morning by reading to you a short excerpt from an article uh, from the New York Times dated December 12th. Prime Minister Stefan Lovvin of Sweden told reporters in Paris on Tuesday that his country had a problem with anti-Semitism. We must be clear that this anti-Semitism and hatred of Jews has no place in our society, Mr. Lofven said at a news conference in conjunction with Climate Conference in Paris. Absolutely no room for anti-Semitism in Sweden. His comments followed a string of anti-Semitic episodes in Gothenburg and Malmö, Sweden's second and third largest cities. This past Sunday, the police in Gothenburg arrested three men in their 20s on suspicion of arson after a group of about 10 masked people hurled homemade firebombs, setting fire to the courtyard in front of a synagogue on Saturday evening after Shabbat. On Friday, the police in Malmo reported that demonstrators at a protest against Israel had shouted threats of violence against Jews. Later, two firebombs were thrown at a Jewish chapel in Malmo. The police are investigating the episode as a possible hate crime. This is totally unacceptable in Sweden, Mr. Lofven said. There must not be any room for this hatred toward Jews. We must tackle this from all angles to extinguish it. Anything we find, we must report. We need to get it out in the open and see that people are brought to justice. Mr. Lovin in Monday told the newspaper that Jews were under assault from both the extreme right and the far left. He also expressed concern about what he said was rising anti-Semitism among immigrants from the Middle East. This goes against the very moral fiber of Sweden, the prime minister said. Here, all people have the same value. Well, this is not the first episode of anti-Semitism that Jews have known. I think it would be fair to say that since the state of Israel's creation, a uh, form of anti-Israel political action has melded into anti-Semitism. While it is certainly acceptable to protest against the actions of the state of Israel, once one starts asking that there be no state of Israel and that the Jewish people be the only people in the world without their own country, then what we are talking about is no longer a political disagreement, but a disagreement about the very existence of the Jewish people. This more modern form of anti-Semitism stands in opposition to the anti-Semitism that emerged um, from the early church fathers um, who had theological questions of who the Jews were and their concern about how to bring Christianity to its fullest flowering and accept the fact that Jews were not converting en masse to uh, a belief of Jesus as the Messiah. For the last hundred years, both kinds of anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish feeling have existed. 
There was a period of time, however, where anti-Jewish feeling and anti-Jewish action was a much more complicated uh, experience. With me this morning is uh, Mr. A.E. Smith, a uh, individual who works in, with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who has expertise in the area of the Soviet Union and Jewish literature and the experience of Jews under Soviet domination. And so I want to welcome him to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. And this morning, we're going to chat about the experience of the Jews under Soviet hegemony. Mr. Smith, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, th as we speak, it is Hanukkah, so let me wish you happy Hanukkah. Um, happy Hanukkah. Hug some act to you too, Rabbi. Thank you. Um, and as you've heard in my introduction, um, there is a time when um, the experience of the Jews in the uh, countries known as the Soviet Union was both wonderful and less than wonderful. Mm. And I'm wondering if you could uh, help our leaders understand this uh, complicated relationship that the Jews of Eastern Europe had with the Soviet Union. Well, um, I think it's, it's probably, uh, to, to, to really answer the question, you have, to, you have to go back to at least the 19th century, certainly to the, to the pre-revolutionary period, and, and, and think about the, the position um, that Jews occupied in, in, in Russian society. I, I, I think it's probably fair to say that up until the time of, of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, 100 years ago, just about exactly 100 years ago, um, Russian Jews were probably one of, if not the most persecuted minorities in, in Europe. Um, pogroms um, were a matter of state policy, uh, under, certainly under the last czar and, and under his father and grandfather. Um, the uh, Jews were slandered and hounded and, 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 and sort of subject to provocations like a document that was called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, um, which uh, was actually uh, manufactured it by the by the Zara secret police, and but it purports to be a, a document that lays out Jewish plans for world domination. And what's fascinating about it is is as I say, it's uh, it's a it's a product of some some evil genius in the Zara secret police, but it's been used throughout the 20th century and continues to be used in the contemporary Absolutely. Middle East as a, as a means of, of, of slandering, slandering Jews, um, and certainly formed the basis of, of Nazi ideology as well. So, so perhaps you could just explain to our listeners, since the Protocols of the Elders of Zion sometimes appears in the media mm -hmm. and sometimes rears its head in the uh, conflict between Israel and its neighbors. Mm -hmm. So while you're correct and it's an important um, thing to note that its origins um, emerge in Tsarist Russia, just a couple of minutes uh, reminding our readers of the content of it and why it has been um, impossible to simply eliminate it from the psyche of anti-Semites. 
Well, I think I think it's it's the protocols is 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 really fascinating because as I say, it it purports to be sort of a a, a document that sets out you know the, the the secret Jewish conspiracy to 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 essentially take over the world, um, and 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 it's I, I've always been I've always been fascinated by it because it 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 it. It's sort of there's this strange kind of cognitive dissonance in it because, on the one hand, it, it portrays Jews as as these as these kind of subhuman parasites, you know, feeding off of off of Christian culture particularly, um, but at the same time per, portrays Jews as as these kind of you know diabolical geniuses, you know, who who actually do have have the capability to to manipulate you know entire economies and entire countries. So, as I say, there's a there's a tremendous there's a tremendous this cognitive dissonance there, but but in it, you know, I think I think you know, with the idea of both the the, the sort of the, the scheming subhuman parasite and the and the the diabolical genius, you can see virtually all of the all of the anti-Semitic tropes that became very common, you know, throughout. Europe and even North America in the 20th century, and 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 continue to continue to hold true in 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 the contemporary Middle East, and unfortunately, um, often you know in where we're seeing we're seeing eruptions of of violent anti-Semitism in 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 Western Europe. So, the protocols of the elders of Zion give the czarist uh, secret police and and the cossacks mm-hmm. um, legitimacy exactly for uh, their pogroms their anti-jewish violence exactly um, claiming that uh, the jews have a cabal that will threaten yeah. the czars and and it's and you know and, it, and it's essential to 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 control and uh, or, or at least bring jews to heal and 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 you know where possible to to kind of to kind of strangle them in the cradle, as it were. Right. And that's a physical uh, strangling, that not just a, a metaphysical or yeah. a, a literal, that's a literal, not just a figurative. Exactly. So that would lead us in the short um, time that we've talked about it to understand why um, Jews in um, Russia might be in favor of the overthrow of the czar. Yes. And have allied themselves with um, the various anti-Zarist movements. Yes. Um, And perhaps you could speak a bit about how the Jews, obviously not every Jew, but large proportions of the Jewish population, um, align themselves with the movements to overthrow the czar. Sure. And and I think I think there's sort of there, there are two dynamics at work there, and 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 one one is sort of apart from the Russian Revolution, and I would say that 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 it was in very large measure, you know the the tremendous, tremendous vein of anti-Semitism that underlay Russian culture and, and Russian politics in the 19th century that drove the waves of Jewish emigration to North America, which is how many of us, you know, ended up uh, on, on, this, on this side of the Atlantic. And also, I think, to a very large extent, you know, contributed to the development of, of, of what we now call, mo- what I would call modern Zionism. And and the notion that 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 Jews in fact not only not only deserved but absolutely required a homeland of their own. So that's kind of one historical dynamic that mm-hmm. I think came out of this. 
And the other one, of course, is that is that you know, as a as a deeply deeply oppressed people, Jews, um, beginning even in in the early 19th century in Russia, a hundred years before the revolution, were allying themselves with revolutionary causes and 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 other kinds of other kinds of of sort of. Um, uh, initiatives to undermine the authority of, uh, of the Russian state. And I mean, Jews were involved in, in every revolutionary cause in Russia from, you know, the old People's Will terrorist movement to, to sort of Tolstoyan pacifist communalism. And and so what that meant is that by the time you know the revolution occurred, um, you know Jews were were very very well integrated into into the Russian underground. They were very well integrated into Russian revolutionary circles, and were very very well placed um, to to you know occupy positions of power. And I, I've always been really fascinated by the fact that that uh, in the first Soviet Politburo, which was of course you know founded in, you know, uh, October of 1917. Right, it's the 100th anniversary. That's right, we uh, did the anniversary. Of the Russian Revolution. And as you've indicated, um, Jews played a a large part, far beyond their numbers in the population. Exactly, and and four out of the seven members of the first Politburo were were in fact Jews, and and probably the most well-known of them was, was Leon Trotsky. So, so you know, so in the in the revolutionary in the post-revolutionary period, Jews occupied, you know, as I say, they occupied both in in terms of Russian politics, but in terms of of, of Russian culture, um, you know, occupied some some very very prominent, very prominent positions. And I suppose we should clarify for our listeners that when we use the word Jew here, we're not necessarily referring to um, members of the Jewish people who were noted for their uh, religious observance. No. That they were identified by um, Soviet and pre-Soviet as a distinct people. Yes. Living within the boundaries of Russia or later the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And in many ways... um, even for those who were practicing, of which in um, Russia there were uh, large amounts who were uh, what today we would identify as orthodox, they were more identified for their um, national identity, their ethnic identity, than their religious identity. And that's, that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely um, so correct. when we say that on the first Politburo there were uh, three of the seven were Jews, um, please, listener, don't have a sense that they took Shabbat off no. or <laughs> that they uh, asked that there be kosher meat served. No, most of them, most of them had had certainly, you know, and certainly because they were involved in in, in you know revolutionary causes, most of them had had repudiated their their religious identity, you know, probably as as teenagers. Um, right. But still, you know, I, 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 all of them, all of them, still, as you say, Rabbi, very much, I would identify ethnically and 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 culturally as as Jews, and 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 often very did so very proudly. So. So I think you know, and, and I think that's a very good point because because one of the and and I think this is this is where it sort of all started to to, to kind of turn bad for 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 Jews is that 
is that the the expectation in a in a revolutionary society would be that that while it, it's acceptable for for perhaps for Jews to to identify culturally as Jews, um, the revolutionary ideology and and the vision of a the vision of a utopian revolutionary society requires Jews to and many other people to kind of give up many of the things that, that, that actually make them Jews, right? So very quickly, we started seeing things like like um, suppression of, certainly suppression of any kind of, of, of Jewish religious practice, suppression of any kind of Jewish religious teaching, um, the, um, the sort of transformation of Yiddish from a, from a spoken language into a sort of a into a sort of, I guess, ethno-cultural curiosity. Yeah, I think that's that too is a helpful. Um, as you're speaking, um, the listeners should remember that where we began was the uh, violent anti-Jewish mm-hmm. feeling in Russia. And so some of our ancestors took the opportunity to leave for North America. Yeah. Some of our ancestors looking for a messianic response um, uh, took leave of Russia and um, went to uh, what was then known as Palestine and were part of the first uh, settlers in uh, Jewish settlers in Palestine in the 1880s or even mm-hmm. earlier. And then there was this third group that you've described in great um, detail who saw messianism an outgrowth of their religious fervor in the politics yeah. of what we'll identify as Marxism, but certainly the varieties of Marxism, socialism, communism, all emerge from their own sense of a messianic desire to better the world. Exactly. Um, and that's what led them in many ways to become enmeshed mm-hmm. in um, the anti-Czar uh, world. Um, yes, Yes, absolutely, and 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 it's fascinating, actually. And and there's there's just just this year there was a, a wonderful novel published that might interest some of your listeners. It's called The Patriots by by a, a Russian American writer called Sana Krasikov, and it addresses itself um, partly to to sort of the, the the Jewish culture after the revolution in Russia, but 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 most particularly, it addresses itself to the large numbers of American Jews who 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 actually kind of reversed the, 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 the path that their, their parents and grandparents took across the Atlantic and actually returned to the Soviet Union because they, you, you know, they, they saw this as an opportunity for them to, to heal the world, as we, as we say, in, 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 uh, as, Jews, as we Jews say, and, and to sort of take part in this, in, this, in this utopian experiment. And of course, unfortunately, um, most, of them, most of them ended up, you know, in the gulag, ended up being you know, being killed in, in, in various purges and so on, so it didn't end well for them. But it was certainly the Russian Revolution for Jews, not just in Russia, but all over the Jews, all over the world, all over the diaspora. It was a, it was a, it was a, a an important moment. It was an important hispo- historical moment, and it was a very galvanizing historical moment. And and so, and if you, you stay say, with that just for a moment, because. Yeah. Um, you know, um, very often um, our readers will note stories about um, McCarthyism in the United States, mm-hmm. of which there was a flavor of it here too in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and that 
um, Jews were uh, over-identified as um, a concern um, because of their involvement with the uh, Communist Party, um, which was deemed by many by this time to be a threat to um, world peace. Mm -hmm. And yet what you're suggesting is that um, Jews who got involved um, with um, the actions of the Communist Party, for many, many of them, it was their means of um, expressing a religious fervor for change in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and not I, an anti. Um, um, what shall we say? Um, an, an anti-democracy movement. No. No, not at all. I mean, there's a, there, there is a, an almost a, a sort of, as you say, a, almost a sort of a messianic, messianic quality to it. And, and my personal belief is, you know, I mean, looking at, looking at the world, I mean, obviously, I don't remember the world of the 1920s and the 1930s or sort of the world, you know, that emerged from the First World War. But certainly, you know, talking to, talking to relatives, talking to, to, to people that I've met who remember that time, I mean, this was a world that had gone completely insane. And, and, and I think that, that, that for many people, especially, especially for Jews, for us, and the preoccupation with, with, you know, healing the world and fixing the world, that, that be, being a communist and being a revolutionary was one of the very few moral responses that was, that was actually available. To people. Um, so it, I, I don't want to lose sight that of the uh, terrible turn that this story had. We, mm. We've come to the point in the story where we acknowledge that the Jewish community of the um, Soviet Union had, um, for all the very good reasons, um, determined to support the anti-Zarist movement, mm -hmm. and then what happens that the Jews, in a funny sense, become uh, enemies of the state? Well, I, I mean, I think I think the, the, a couple of things happen, and I think I think you know uh, one of one of them is is what, what one of the the determining factors is is what I referred to as this this very very deep vein of 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 anti-Semitism that has that has always kind of run through um, Russian culture and and Russian society and and. And I, I, I mean, there are various explanations for that, and some of it is is rooted in the in the teachings of the Orthodox Church and uh, you know the Orthodox Christian Church. Um, some of it is re is sort of rooted in in what I would call Russian peasant folkways, and 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 some of it's rooted in in just sort of views of. Jews as a kind of a non-specific threat because they are the eternal outsiders um, in in any society, um, and I think I think that 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 so so that you know despite the 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 utopianism of the of the revolution that that those kinds of those kinds of tropes you know very very quickly began to began to reassert themselves the other thing of course is that because Jews did occupy such prominent positions in in what i would call the revolutionary aristocracy they occupied very prominent positions in in russian culture in the theater in literature in cinema um, they were viewed by by you know 
people like Stalin, you know, who was attempting to consolidate all the powers sort of within within you know his inner circle, they were very very much viewed as 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 political threats. And um, and and so by the you know as we sort of go through the Second World War and come come out the other end and 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 start moving towards the end of the of, of Stalin's regime. Um, he, or started moving towards Stalin's death. Um, I think that that he he felt that 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 Jews in general, sort of writ large, were the were the last the last threat to to his power and to his hegemony, and 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 that they had to be they had to be not only not only suppressed as 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 a cultural entity, but actually liquidated uh, as a people. And so the, the the late 1940s and the early 1950s in 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 the Soviet Union for Jews was a was, was a desperate time, and 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 it a time that circle. I think was in some ways comparable to what was going on in 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 Germany in the 1930s. So it went full circle from yes. um, czarist anti-Semitism, which uh, focused on Jews as outsiders. Yes. Um, and as not part of the folk mm-hmm. of Russian society. The narod is the Russian word, the people. Yeah. Right. And that there was a, of course, a little bit of um, a Christian anti-Semitism mixed in with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that and that the Jews searching for a messianic response to anti-Semitism uh, became overwhelmingly supportive of change. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, having uh, thrown in their lot with uh, a messianic approach to uh, a new world, um, they become victims of the new world's need to uh, find another scapegoat. Yes. Um, And so the Jews become full circle and experience a anti-Semitism that is equal to or not worse than that of czarist Russia. Yes, I think that's that's an excellent analysis. I, I think to, to put it in a in a larger in a or, or in a in a in a very specifically kind of Jewish context, I, I'm I'm always when I sort of look at the the the, the sweep of Jewish history in, in from the Russian Revolution to you know Russia in the 1950s and beyond, I, I often think of. Um, I often think of the you know exodus and 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 i don 't have to tell you that that you know what happens in in exodus in essence is that is that we 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 exchange one form of bondage yes we exchange our bondage um, under pharaoh and we are we are redeemed from we are redeemed from that but 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 we in fact enter another form of bondage yes yes and we, we let my people go that they may serve. Absolutely, their God. Absolutely, and and I mean, I think that 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 you know, there's a there's a profound there's a profound lesson in that, obviously, but 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 it's not just a personal one; it's a historical one. You know that that every form of redemption, every every revolution, you know that 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 comes along, there there is always a hidden cost. That's a wonderful place for us to leave it. 
um, the question of what are the costs of being uh, a messianic people. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for uh, taking us back in history and bringing us back to the present time. Um, certainly, Israel represents a form of messianism, the first flowering of the Jewish people's redemption, and there is a cost to it. There is always a cost. Um, and so I want to thank my guest, Mr. A.E. Smith. I want to remind you, our listeners, that Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts are available as a podcast on Sedation CHRI website and also on iTunes. For Rabbi Stephen Garten, this is uh, Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom.